Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on the show today, reflections on a great FIFA World Cup. And we go back to the 1994 World Cup, when Nigeria had one of the most exciting African squads ever. They lost to Italy in the second round, but Augustin Egwavan, a defender in the team, feels that it could have been a different story. Because I'll just take you back. If we knew what we know now, we would have won the World Cup. Now for our least finals, we were inexperienced at that worst stage. Well, that's coming later, and also we talk about Riyad Mahrez's move to Manchester City. Well, what a great World Cup it was, and what a final with France beating Croatia 4-2. Only once has a World Cup final produced more goals. That was when Brazil beat Sweden 5-2 in 1958. Uh, So what are your reflections on the tournament, Stuart? I think France were worthy winners of the 2018 World Cup final because they played attacking football through the final. They had their moments of luck. Should that have been a penalty for handball? Were they lucky to get the free kick from which he got the first goal? Was there much contact? Well, that's all past now. But we need to stress that France are World Cup winners, not world champions. They won a knockout cup competition, where, of course, which draw you get helps a great deal. Now, England got to the semi-finals. I don't think they were anything like one of the top four teams in the competition. And, in fact, their overall record is played seven, won three, drew one, lost three. And when you note that two of the teams they beat were Panama, the worst team in the competition, and Morocco, Not a very good team either, and they struggled to beat them. That puts England's performance in context. It was great to see Kylian Mbappé establish himself as an heir apparent to the world's greatest player. Of course, he's only 19, he's got to develop, but great to see him playing well. Now, let me mention some of the other things that I liked about the World Cup overall. There was only one goalless draw. There had been seven in each of the three previous World Cups, so nice to see more attacking football, perhaps. Amazingly, there were only four red cards. The average number of red cards over the last uh, six World Cups has been 18, and in 2006 there were 28. Why would this be? I wonder if it's because of VAR and players realising they're unlikely to get away with things. A really interesting statistic is that 43% of goals came from set pieces. That is more than there's ever been at the World Cup, which was only 28% at the previous one. And to see a lot of goals coming from corners, I thought was quite exciting, because in the Premier League, I think often corners are a bit sterile and people know how to defend them and teams are always annoyed if they concede a goal but here to see good goals being scored by corners was excellent it'll be interesting to see whether this continues uh, in the Premier League and in other leagues. Indeed so it was a special tournament and a few bits of World Cup trivia there Stuart. Steve I have a prediction for you Mexico will be knocked out in the last 16 of the next World Cup. How do I know? Well, that's exactly what's happened to them in the last seven World Cups, so why not another one? 
Matthias Jürgensen scored the fastest goal of the World Cup in 57 seconds for Denmark against Croatia. On the other hand, Mario Fernandes had to wait until the 115th minute before he scored for Russia against Croatia. Croatia, the first and the last, you might say. And Panama have added themselves to a rather undistinguished list of 10 countries, incidentally including DR Congo and Togo, who've played in the World Cup and lost every game. Harry Kane is the winner of the Golden Boot for scoring most goals. He had six shots on target and got six goals. And of course that includes penalties, which I think can distort the goal scoring. And finally, the funniest moment of the World Cup, although he may not have thought so, was Michy Batsouet of Belgium celebrating that goal against Brazil by kicking the ball against the post only for it to come back and hit him in the face. Perhaps he'll learn to celebrate in a better way next time. Yes, that was comical. Well, a great 2018 World Cup. More reflections later, but not a good one for Africa as all of the continent's teams went out at the group stage. We're going to take you back to 1994 when the World Cup was held in the USA and it marked Nigeria's debut in the tournament. They started with a 3-0 win over Bulgaria and despite a 2-1 loss to Argentina in the second game, they beat Greece 2-0 to reach the round of 16 where they met Italy. Winger Emmanuel Amunike put Nigeria in the lead in the 25th minute and the Super Eagles were two minutes away from winning before a slip from Sunday Olise gave Roberto Baggio the chance to equalise. With the score at 1-1, it went to extra time and Baggio then converted a penalty to take Italy through and to shatter the dreams of Nigeria and indeed for much of Africa. Well, that team was coached by Dutchman Clements Westerhoff. The team included Peter Rufai in goal, Rashidi Yekini up front, Finidi George, JJ Okocha, Daniel Amakachi to name just a few. Also there was defender Augustin Egwavan. He spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluashina Okaleji on how that 1994 squad set the tone for the country's success and recalls that sad exit to Italy. First, Oluashina asked Egwavan why that 1994 squad is seen as the benchmark for success for any Nigeria team. Decision of the masses, decision of Nigerians, in fact the entire world, because we actually shook the world was a bit of a surprise, a, major, a very big surprise, because we were ranked fifth in the world after the World Championship. So it's gone down to history. So people will always talk about it. But, you know, we have to thank God because we were part of it. I think the major thing is because we were the first group to qualify for the World Cup, first time ever, the Nigerian team. I, still, I, watched, I watched the Christian Chukus, Adokis, and uh, Adokba Mays in 1980. Prior to that, I was like 13 years old in 78 when I, I was following football gradually. But I wasn't playing, I didn't like football. And then 18 Nations Cup, I watched it on TV when we won. That was a very strong squad, but they didn't qualify for the World Cup. If not, people would have been talking about 1980 squad as well. But having been the first set to qualify for the World Championship, again, like I said before, it's gone down to history. So people now have to make reference to that squad. I think that's the only difference. And then when we got to the World Cup, people were expecting you know, also to go far. We actually did, because as first-timers. And then talking about it, I don't think um, anybody's doing anything wrong. 
Because I'll just take you back. If we knew what we know now, we would have won the World Cup. Now, for our list finals, we were inexperienced at that worst stage. Even the coaching crew, you know, Westhoff, our coaching crew led, headed by Clemens Westhoff, who was a fantastic manager. It was his first time as well. Ooh, it was first time for everybody. Not know we could go beyond. You know, we're jubilating when we lost to Italy, which is not good enough. You know, but Nigerians were happy. We were happy. That's why I said if we knew what we know now in terms of game management, we were able to manage games. When you one nil up, you see modern football today, the Guardiola's, the Mourinho's and all that. The Conte's, when they are leading one nil, out of 15 minutes, probably the team will play only seven out of 15. But you see, as at that time when the Italy equalised, was last minute. If we knew about game management, from the bench to the players, we would be able to slow that game down completely. So that's what the experience is. So now all these players, yeah, we all played in Europe then, but football actually has, has, has risen to a different level. And I'm very sure all these boys today and the present crew knows about game management. So if we're able to score one and then manage the game, that's us well. I mean, we were watching clip of that 1994 game. You mentioned Italy. And we saw how Paolo Maldini practically dragged Giacchini down when he was badging in front of goal and was ready to score. I mean, when you look back at that picture, would you say, hmm, rather you guys were cheated or, apart from the inexperience, would you look at that incident and say, maybe the referee could have just sent Paolo Maldini off? Obviously. You know, I, like I said earlier, football has taken a different dimension, a different tone completely. Why? If it's today, you know, then big countries will have been protected. Before then, and then then, protected. But today, if you come up with such uh, tackles, uh, to, so to speak, you'll be red-carded. Otherwise, that referee will face some serious sanctions from FIFA. So, we were a little bit cheated, but it was discretional. Referees could have. But he went away with it or he got away with it you know without being sanctioned so there's nothing we can do about it but now what you just asked me I reminded me we'll talk about game management now when Italy scored their second goal so when you now see a coach that has a, give it to West Ham no doubt you know as at that point in time what is expected of us to do is probably to resolve back to a back three get a Guavoy off or get a Manalo off, got somebody off, back three, throw in an Efani Koku or throw in another striker. So we cannot have numbers up front and then change style of play. But we didn't do that. So that we'll talk about game. That's, I didn't know that then. I'm probably very sure most of us didn't know that then. Because as an experienced coach now, you have a licensed. So those are things, you know, you focus when the game changes, it's not going the way you want it. The split of his account, you can change, even without substitution, the system of play. But we're still playing the same way. Lessons learned. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. That's defender Augustin Egwavan, part of the Super Super Eagle squad of 1994. Uh, well, Solomon, that was 24 years ago. Would you agree that this was the best ever Nigeria squad? I definitely feel a USA 94 presented the best ever Nigerian squad, uh, not just uh, at the World Cup, but even before the World Cup. You remember it was the same year earlier on in January, February in Tunisia, uh, where Nigeria won the Africa Cup of Nations against uh, Zambia, Chipolo Polo. Uh, if you even look at the number of goals scored at USA 94 24 years ago, that was the highest number of goals that Nigeria has scored 
at a World Cup. It was a squad that has a lot of unity. It was a squad that was balanced. They played the brand of football that Nigeria uh, was known for, that Africa was known for, and that really captivated not just African football fans but global football fans to a different kind of football, not like the Europeans and and slightly different than the uh, South Americans, countries like Brazil or Argentina. They played with so much arrogance and confidence and, and believing in themselves. Yes, and Egwavon says that if that team had had better knowledge, if they knew then what they knew now, then they would have won that second round game against Italy and even reached the final. Would you agree? I totally agree. Remember some of these players who were playing in lower leagues in, in Europe. Uh, so there was, there weren't then not a lot of Nigerian players who were playing in the European Champions League. So they, they never really had a lot of experience. So, so you go in there with not so much knowledge, you know, and, and when the pressure is on you, just like we saw against Argentina and Italy, you begin to, to lose it. And so there was a lot of inexperience, uh, inexperience with the way Nigeria considered, you know, the equalizer. Uh, when you are one goal ahead, if you have better knowledge and better experience, you would make sure that you maintain that. And Clemens Westerhoff didn't do that, but maybe just because he has so much faith in the team that this team is always able to deliver and get goals that, that the team needs. Well, what could have been for Nigeria at the 1994 World Cup should have got to the quarterfinals at least and maybe further. Well, thanks a lot, Solomon. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programmes too in our archive. You can also listen to the show on our website, that's planetsportfootballafrica.com and our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. And now we turn to social media, and last week we asked, has this been the best ever World Cup? How good has Russia 2018 been? On Facebook first, Garnet Blasio in Malawi says, it's changed the wrong mindset that countries with high populations are the powerhouses of football. Indeed, Croatia reaching the final with a population of just 4 million people. Uh, Moses El Hakim says, no, it's not the best ever. I go for the last one in Brazil. This one was just the underdog teams massacring the big guns, says Moses. And what's up? Francisco Dodoma in Malawi agrees with Moses, saying it's been a tournament full of excitement and wonders, says Francisco, but I cannot consider this to be the best. People watched marvellous football in 2014 in Brazil and in 2010 in South Africa. That's my opinion, says Francisco. However, John Favor in The Gambia says, I started watching the World Cup in 2006. I think this was the best World Cup ever. We had entertainment, beautiful football, some unexpected upsets, drama with the VAR decisions that made some people cry with anger and others jump up and down with joy. Also, it was great seeing some fans from Japan, Senegal and other nations tidying litter from the stands in the stadium after the games. Yes, a good point there, John. And another John, this time in Ghana, agrees, saying, yes, it's the best ever. Look at the way the host nation played. No one ever expected Russia to get that far. In my opinion, it's one of the best ever World Cups, says John. Mama Yoruba in the Gambia is pleased that a wider audience has been able to enjoy the World Cup. 
Yes, this was the best World Cup ever, says Mama Yoro. It went peacefully and was well followed all over the world with the latest technology so that matches were watched even in the remotest villages. Yes, I think Mama Yoro referring there to uh, the ability that many had to watch uh, on their mobile phones uh, during this World Cup. And Barang Sane, also in the Gambia, believes that the VAR made a positive difference at the World Cup. It was good, says Barang, because some refereeing decisions were overturned due to the help of the video assistant referee. Gemo is a Cameroonian in the United States. I agree it's been one of the most interesting, exciting and competitive World Cups ever, says Gemo. All of the nations, including especially the smaller nations, upped their games and gave their all. I also like the introduction of the VAR, which hasn't been perfect, but made the games more fair. Mohamed I. Kinte in the Gambia says, Yes, I can say it's the best World Cup because of the skills the players showed and the improvement of the smaller countries like Croatia and Sweden. Also most interesting is the early exit of heavy guns like Argentina, Brazil, Spain and Germany. So yes, it's the best World Cup so far, says Mohamed. However, Alfred Bezai in Malawi feels that the early elimination of the bigger teams had a negative impact on the tournament. It hasn't been all that fantastic to me, says Alfred. It could have been more exciting if we had more heavyweights progressing to the latter stages. And Lamine B. Touray in the Gambia agrees, I can't call this the best World Cup because of the failure of the big-name players and big-name countries, says Lamine. The likes of Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, Tony Cruz all failed to reach the semi-finals. On the other hand, the likes of Croatia, Russia and Belgium have improved much in the tournament, and that's amazing, says Lamine. Mamadi Jalo, also in the Gambia, is flowing with praise. Yes, I feel Russia 2018 is the best World Cup I've ever watched, says Mamadi. Every match was unique and the games were not predictable. I must say, I really agree with your analysis there, Mamadi. Lamine Sane in the Gambia too says, I enjoy the unpredictable nature of this World Cup. It was one of the best ever in terms of entertainment, both on and off the pitch. And also the football aspect was good as the results were so difficult to predict, says Lamine. Malik Gay says it was a very entertaining World Cup with lots of surprises and twists and turns. I definitely enjoyed it, uh, but with mixed feelings because my team Germany's performance was shocking, says Malik. And finally, Oms K. Baji in the Gambia says, in terms of excitement and entertainment, the 2010 World Cup hosted on African soil was the best ever. Who can forget the Vuvuzelas, says Oms. Uh, well, great memories there. Uh, here is the sound of South Africa 2010. <laughs> Thanks for reminding us about that, Oms, and thanks for all of those comments. And for me, at great 2018 World Cup, every day was full of excitement. Well, this week on social media, we're asking, what do you think of Riyad Mahrez's move to Manchester City? We'll talk about this shortly on the show, but will he fit in at Man City after his big money move? And will he get to play every week? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What do you think of Riyad Mahrez's big money move to Manchester City? 
Well, now with the World Cup over, action is back underway in the CAF Champions League. Last Tuesday was match day three in the competition, and the 2016 winners, Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa, lost 1-0 away to AS Port of Togo. Sundowns have just two points from three games in Group C. Good wins for TP Mazembe of DR Congo and for Etoile du Sahel of Tunisia. They're doing well, but Zambia's Zesco United were held to a goalless draw by Primero Augusto of Angola. Just two points so far for Zesco. And eight-time champions Al-Athli of Egypt got their first win of the group stage as they beat Township Rollers of Botswana 3-0 with their new coach Patrice Carteron from France. The next game's coming up next weekend in the Champions League. So Continental Club football is back with the CAF Champions League. The English Premier League kicks off next month. And in terms of the next global international football tournament after the World Cup, it's going to be the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, Japan next, with the event starting in two years from now on the 24th of July 2020. This is an under-23 tournament for the men, senior competition for the women. Africa won the men's tournament in 1996 with Nigeria and in 2000 with Cameroon, and Nigeria took bronze in Rio two years ago. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard was in Tokyo recently, and he spoke to Tokyo 2020 football sport manager Kenya Otani and first asked about the venues being used for the football tournament. For Tokyo 2020 games, we have uh, seven venues in total, uh, starting from the north, uh, Sapporo, uh, next is Miyagi, uh, third one is Kashima, uh, Saitama, uh, Tokyo Stadium, the Olympic Stadium, and Yokohama. Um, most of the stadium's capacities are over uh, 45,000, and uh, Five out of the seven stadiums were used in uh, 2002 FIFA uh, World Cup. Now, football is perhaps the number one sport in the world, some people would say. Mm -hmm. In the Olympic Games, not so much Mm -hmm. so. Perhaps Mm -hmm. swimming, track and field athletics Mm -hmm. may be a little Mm -hmm. bit more important. Mm -hmm. So how important is it, do you think, that the IOC has football within the Olympic Games as an event for women as well as for men? Um, yeah, men and women, it's a bit different. Uh, firstly, yeah, for men, right now it's a World Cup in Russia. Uh, FIFA considers uh, their product, the World Cup, as the number one priority. However, yeah, as you say, um, Olympic has had an important role in terms of uh, developing football in other aspects. So. Uh, especially for Japan. Uh, in 1968, Mexico uh, Olympic Games, uh, Japan has won the bronze medal. It, it, it was one of the turning points for uh, Japanese uh, football society. So uh, it, it, it still has big meaning for having an Olympic football. And for women, traditionally, uh, it doesn't have an age limit. And it was considered as the number one uh, women's tournament, although FIFA is, of course, promoting their Women's World Cup. But uh, the participating team is only 12 teams compared to the World Cup, so it's going to be a very uh, intense uh, match for the women. So it, it really has a meaning for uh, women's football as well. 
for the nations of Africa, the FIFA World Cup has been a step too far. Perhaps no African nation has ever reached the semi-finals of the FIFA World Cup. And yet, in the past seven Olympic Games, African nations have won a medal mm-hmm. in five of the last mm-hmm. seven. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for people listening to this uh, in Africa, what can you tell them about the tournament to get them excited, uh, about the, the venues, anything special that Japan brings to the Olympic Games that they haven't seen before? Yes, uh, by watching TV, I mean, it, it's going to be an Olympic Games, but... Uh, Personally, I would like to recommend that uh, African people come over to Japan and experience Japan because, uh, yes, it's a hot uh, season, but still um, there are many interesting things to see around. And, um, yeah, it's not just about the games itself. It's a mixture of this culture and mixture of the people with the worldwide event. So, yeah, Tokyo, Japan is a... Yeah, very uh, beautiful and unique uh, country city. So I would recommend people to come down to uh, experience uh, Tokyo in Japan. Well, that's sounding exciting already. The Tokyo 2020 Olympics of football sport manager Kenya Otani are speaking there to Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Well, now let's talk English Premier League. The new season starts on the 10th of next month and there's plenty of transfer activity going on. 2016 PFA Player of the Year Riyad Mahrez has joined Manchester City for a club record of around $80 million. The Algerian says he left Leicester to move to what he calls a big club to win the Champions League. Mahrez is 27, he signed a five-year deal and it's the sixth highest fee ever paid by an English club. What do you make of this, Stuart? Riyad Mahrez has had really quite an unusual career because he was in France for five years playing mainly for La Havre and he was just an average player. I don't think many people had heard of him when Leicester City signed him in 2014. And then, of course, in 2015-16 season, Leicester were champions and Mares, not an out-and-out striker, scored 17 goals as well as creating so many situations for them. But since then, he's made no secret of the fact that he wants to leave Leicester to go to one of the top clubs where he will both earn more money and have a chance to, to win more trophies. So I think that this was inevitable. Uh, It's a disappointment for Leicester, but actually he hasn't played that well since that championship winning side, so perhaps the money is a better option for them. And uh, will Mahrez fit in at Man City? Uh, Will he be able to play in the same way as at Leicester? I think Riyad Mahrez will find playing for Manchester City totally different from Leicester City. Uh, We mentioned in our World Cup previews how Manchester City have 16 players in various World Cup squads. That means there are five players every week who cannot start for Manchester City, but who are good enough to be in the World Cup. And just look at the Manchester City resources in midfield. Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling, David Silva, Leroy Sané, Fabian Delph, Fernandinho, Iki Gurogan, and now Riyad Mahrez. You know, you cannot play all of those every week. So I think Mares will have to get used to being a squad player, playing a good number of games, but not playing every week. And with that kind of resources available, when you come to the Champions League quarter-final, 
and they pick their absolutely top 11, will Murray's be guaranteed to be in it? I think that's a great question. Indeed. Well, thanks, Stuart. And that's our question on social media this week. What do you think of Riyad Mahrez's Man City move? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. And uh, Stuart, just finally, a quick word on Cristiano Ronaldo moving to Juventus from Real Madrid, the fourth biggest transfer of all time. First of all, I think it's no surprise that Ronaldo is leaving Real Madrid because he has not been getting on with the management for some time. That one moment in the World Cup when Portugal are 2-3 down to Spain with a couple of minutes left and they get a free kick and Ronaldo puts it in the top corner, just illustrates for me what a brilliant player he is and that ability to produce it when it's really needed. Now, he's 33, and he's been given a four-year contract, which means he'll be 37. So it's big money for someone at this stage of his career. He's also very fit, so probably can keep going. But I read a really interesting article in my newspaper arguing that Juventus want him less for what he can do on the field than for his commercial value because they are short of other clubs in sponsorship income and hope that he can generate that. Well, a huge transfer. Very interesting to see how Cristiano Ronaldo does this season at Juventus. And there's already been massive sales of replica jerseys at the Italian club. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashoms in South Africa and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.